Welcome to the Thought Card, guys. My name is Savvy Travelers. We are recording live from the Nefi podcasting stage at FinCon. Thank you to Nefi, the National Endowment for Financial Education, for sponsoring this live podcasting at FinCon 19. So today I have a very special guest with me, Damien Peters Hello. from Wealth Noir. Welcome, Damien. Hi, thanks for having me. Super I'm happy to be so here. I'm so excited to talk to you about like travel and building wealth. So for those who don't know about Wealth Noir, can you give the listeners like what it's about? Yeah. So Wealth Noir, we've been around for about two years, and we really focus on higher income black millennials and really focus on building wealth. So what I say is turning your salary into net worth in pursuit of financial freedom. Really about increasing net worth, closing the wealth gap in the U.S., and helping take those complex um, tactics that the wealthy have been using for many, many years and help explain and make them more accessible and democratize wealth in the U.S. Right. So why do you think that wealth building is so important for millennials to learn, understand, and start strategizing? So the one core thing about both building wealth and financial freedom. So I'll start with financial freedom. So I think wealth brings you, gets you to a point of financial freedom. And when I say financial freedom, it's not moving abroad or staying on the beach all day or quitting your job, but it's having that optionality if you want to. It's being able to uh, weather a layoff. Um, it's being able to take some time off when you have a child. It's being able to deal with medical expenses or things along those lines when they come up and having that stability in your life and that freedom. Uh, building wealth is how you get to financial freedom. So you can't get to financial freedom just by earning a lot of money because you're not financially free. You're still tied to having your job. Um, so I really believe in building your net worth by accumulating assets, um, working on passive income. I'm a big real estate investor personally. Um, it helps pay for my lifestyle. But building wealth is opens up a level of freedom in any person's life that really can't be replicated um, without it. Right. So how about, let's say someone who just finished paying off their student loan debt, they are debt free and they're like, I want to start building wealth. Like, where would you recommend to start? Yeah. The first thing I always tell people to start with, if they haven't done anything at all, is um, I'm a big fan of robo-advisors. So I'm a big fan of automated um, advisors where you can put your money in. They'll actually diversify your fund. They usually ask some questions about your risk profile. Um, I've been using them for years. And it's a great place to just throw money when you want to save it and like, contribute on a regular basis. For me also, rental properties has been, um, for me, one of the biggest areas I've been able to build wealth in. So I turned my old, my first condo into a rental. I then bought a house down the street. I then bought a multi-unit up um, further in the next city over. Um, and that's been providing me both with the appreciation from the homes along with cash flow and rental income. But even getting into rental properties, I actually, every time I buy a property, it comes out of my um, automated wealth, um, uh, my automated advisor. Right. My robo-advisor. Right, right. Now, when you say robo-advisor, is that something like a Robin Hood or is that like a Vanguard? Is there differences? Yeah. yeah no, there's actually a few big ones. So the bit, two big ones in the space right now um, are Wealthfront and, and Betterment. Vanguard also has their own. Uh, they have a higher minimum. It's around uh, 50000 I think, is their minimum as opposed to Wealthfront and Betterment, which is around five hundred. dollars um, My personal robo-advisor that I recommend and use is called M1 Finance. Um, and all of them, uh, they all have their pluses and minuses. Um, M1 Finance for me works because they have 0% maintenance fees and they're a little bit more customizable, um, but they may not be as simpler as some of the other options. But long story short, any one of these is a great place. Um, and the main things that you're looking for is that you want to be able to contribute money 
they will auto automate your bouncing and rebalancing. I'm a big fan of Robinhood also, but that's more about picking your own individual stocks. Right, right, right. Okay, so Robinhood is more stock picking, and then these robo advisors like M1 and the other ones, Betterment, are. Is it like you're you're investing in a index fund or a mutual yeah. fund? Okay. So to break it down real quick, what they'll do is they'll take a portfolio of index funds. So. Let's say there's around five. You may have international markets, um, stable. You may have international emerging markets. You may have U.S. domestic. Um, and then you'll probably have a bond fund and maybe like a REIT, uh, real estate. They will, based on usually your risk profile or what you say, they'll come up with, okay, you should be in 40% international, 40% domestic, and 20% bonds. Or maybe you should be at 40% bonds and um, no international and fully domestic. Uh, and then what they'll do is they'll buy and sell the four or five index funds on your behalf based on the questions that you um, answered. And the thing I like about it is before I used to manage this myself, I needed to go in and double check where actually my ETFs were um, every couple, every quarter because you need to rebalance. If one area gains a lot and the other area goes down, your portfolio allocation may be off. So the Railway Advisor handles this um, automatically. I love that. And I also love that you mentioned that you took the the assets pretty much like what you had in the robo advisors and use that to build wealth in your real estate and building a portfolio. So that's a great. Yes. No, um, I believe people need to have uh, so I come from a technical background. We call like the tech stack. Um, I like to call the wealth stack. So there's a way that my money moves. There's a emergency fund. And when that spills over into my um, robo advisor and that spills over into my real estate investments, when I find a good deal, this is like gems. So <laughs> listeners, you heard that you heard that first from the thought card podcast. So Damien, I know that you have a very interesting travel story as well. You, you currently I know you currently live in Valencia, Spain. Yes. And See? yes, and you're also like you're building wealth while living and moving abroad. So before we start with that, can you tell us like, why did you decide to move to Valencia? Yeah. The biggest reason I decided to move to Valencia um, is the small curly head boy currently running around my house. Um, when I worked in tech, uh, so I used to work at Facebook was my most recent um, job. I was a product manager for three and a half years and I loved the job, but I did work a lot. I traveled a lot for work, um, and I was concerned about how much time I would have around my son early on. So that was kind of the first decision to take a break. Spain came along because in taking the break, um, Spain's about a third of the cost uh, for us month uh, monthly compared to living in Oakland, California. The amount of time, um, the amount of flexibility, the amount of time I could spend not working went significantly further in Spain. Um, I also thought it would be a great experience both for our family and both for him. Um, and also, too, me and my wife did want to move abroad, so we've been looking to move abroad for a while. Um, funny story how we ended up in Valencia. Uh, basically, I was open to the entire world. She said, Spain or Italy, we were going to move to Barcelona. We found out that Valencia is the better version of Barcelona to live, um, according to the forums, and moved to Valencia. Um, but now we really have the time to spend with him, and we knew we wanted to move abroad, and we knew that it's easier when he's six months old or one year as opposed to nine and can tell you I have some friends and things like that. Yeah, it's a little pushback at exactly. that point, right? Exactly. No, that's so true. So, okay, so when you decided to move to Valencia, what were some of the things that you considered? What are the factors? Like, we talked about a little bit cost of living. What else did you consider when making this move? Yeah, there's a lot. So I am a classical over-analyzer. Um, I had an elaborate spreadsheet, which was looking at health, um, healthcare, 
cost of living? Is it close to the beach? I was looking at average um, temperature. You know, does it rain a lot? Does it snow? Um, access to other countries and to traveling elsewhere. Um, also, the political economy. Another big thing is uh, being African American. How am I going to be treated? Am I going to be treated better or worse um, or the same? Um, safety in general for my wife and my young son. So there was a myriad. A spreadsheet. Of, there was a spreadsheet going. Oh, yeah. There was a, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> if it didn't sound like it, if it didn't sound like it. And it, as you have to imagine, too, this was across all continents. So I was like comparing Australia to Medellin, Colombia to Berlin. Um, to Valencia, Spain versus Barcelona, Spain, things like that. It did get a bit of a mess. Um, I actually did write an article talking about my process um, and some of the sites that I used. But yeah, there was a myriad of factors. And some of the things that why Spain won out, uh, language for us, so we did want to learn Spanish. Uh, cost of living, Spain is very, very affordable for the EU and just very affordable in general. Europe is great for travel. You can get around to a lot of places very easily. And then there's socialized healthcare. It's very, very good. Um, so it offered a, as I like to call it, it was a third world price um, price point for a first world economy. Right, right, right. And the one thing that stood out to me is that a lot of times we follow our jobs. So we'll move different cities for a job or just randomly. But if you're thinking about making this big move, you can decide where you want to go and what factors play the most important role. So I think that's really, really awesome. So who was the second runner up after Valencia? After Valencia? So officially in the, in the end, and it ended up being Barcelona because we were going to move to Barcelona. Um, if you had asked me, though, beforehand, before Spain, I was told Spain or Italy, um, I would have said Buenos Aires. And going back to jobs, uh, that was actually another big factor. We actually weren't sure whether we would work abroad remotely, we would actually work locally, um, or do nothing at all. So price and the job market comes into play. Uh, so, for example, Buenos Aires, I used to work at a gaming company. We actually had an engineering department down there. There were several other gaming companies. I knew I could get work as a product manager down there in addition to learning Spanish, and I really liked the city. Um, but Valencia won out, and we're loving Valencia. Okay, so is it true that they'll have siestas? Yes. They'll shut things down. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so if you're a professional... Typically, the siesta isn't impacting you that much. There are a few companies that still honor the siesta in the sense, um, and definitely have heard a few friends at a few companies that will have like long two-hour lunches, which is kind of you know a little bit equivalent. Um, but no, the stores there's actually two siestas. So the first siesta itself is for um, the shop owners, and that's for them to go eat lunch around four o'clock. Then there's a second siesta where wait the wait wait lunch is at four p.m. Lunch is actually at 2 p.m. for everyone. Okay, okay. And I mean, when I say 2 p.m., it really is like at 1.30, restaurants are like, we are closed. Why are you here, you crazy American? It's come up multiple times. If you're in a bigger city like Madrid or Barcelona, there's a bit more options. Valencia, um, I described, which is the third biggest city in Spain, is like Miami. It's, um, it's like a beach town. It's like people do it. They kind of feel, you know, a lot more lifestyle. Yep. Um, but no, lunch is at 2 p.m. The first shop owners get to eat a late lunch at 4 p.m. for their first siesta, approximately. Um, so a lot of times you'll see like stores, like the pet store we go to closes at 4 p.m. every day. Um, then the restaurants will start to close after around uh, 5 to 6, which is kind of traditionally after the shop owners would get their um, food. And the history of siesta actually is because the Spanish sun is basically too hot and everyone should be able to go home and take a nap. And siesta literally means nap in Spanish, but that's amazing. It's very real. I don't 
remember when I, I went to Barcelona a couple years ago and there wasn't, I didn't, it's a little bit, but it wasn't like that much. But from your experience, like it seems like. So one thing which we definitely realize is that visiting a place and living in a place are two different experiences. When we first went to Valencia, you're like, oh, man, our Spanish is amazing. We're getting around. We're ordering food and talking to people. Until? Until we moved to the outside of the city center. Until our the equivalent of Comcast had to come install cable in our house. And you realize, like, oh, he does not speak English. Like, um, And even being as soon as we leave the city center, that's when siestas start getting real. My old co-working um, uh, office is near the university and it's a bit further out even than where we live there it's very very you know very apparent and literally the further you get outside the city center um and there's a point when you actually leave valencia the center proper people stop speaking castellano which is what we call spanish um and speak the local language of valenciano um so as you leave the city center you start realizing things like siesta and the spanish culture gets very very um real and yeah and another thing i know that you did is that you actually test drove Valencia for a week or two. So can you Those talk about weeks. that decision of why you decided to visit first before you committed to yeah. living there? So one, we had never actually been to Valencia. Um, we oh my just, gosh, on a spreadsheet. You're like, this sounds yeah. great. So, um, and the spreadsheet was backed by both a lot of YouTube videos about being black in Valencia and being black in Spain and just living in Spain. But yes, no, we had not, we decided to move to Valencia having never visited Valencia, only visiting Barcelona and Madrid. Uh, so we designed, designed a two-week test drive. We went. Um, we actually met up with a relocator while we were there who explained to us about moving there in the different neighborhoods. We actually found a daycare and actually had our son enrolled in daycare for an entire week while we were there. Um, we went to. We tried to get outside of just the tourist areas. We um, looked at some apartments and things like that. So after the end of the two weeks, we left thinking like, wow, we could really live here. We really like it. And it didn't feel as weird as we expected it to. Although we learned there are a lot more weird things when you move there after a year um, that you don't see in two weeks. So it sounds like not only did you DIY it, you figured out like, okay, what am I going to do? What are the factors? But you also hired a relocator. So can you tell us like, what is a relocator and why was it critical to your like success of your move? Yeah. Now, everyone doesn't need a relocator and they can do it yourself. Uh, we spent around, approximately around $1,500 for everything, and that included support for several months before we left. Um, so relocators generally are going to specialize with helping expats move into the city that you want to move into. Some will work with international folks. Um, some will specifically work with people coming from America. There's a lot of EU expats in Valencia, um, which is a much easier move than coming from the U.S. What they do is they... and yeah, they range heavily. Some will have lawyers who will actually help you with your visa process. They'll have um, recommendations. They'll have contacts at the consulate and things like that and can move things for through you. Ours, for example, helped us um, buy Spanish health insurance, which is a requirement before coming. Some consulates require a lease um, in place before you move so they could help you get the lease. Or um, they helped me find a translator, for example, things like that. When we actually landed, because our Spanish was not as good as you we thought, thought it, it would was. Be? Yes. Exactly. Yeah, we were like, okay, apparently um, asking where the library is, donde... Biblioteca. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? Yeah, okay. it doesn't help when you're looking for an apartment. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. okay. Um, they don't tell you that in school, though. No, like, no, no, They set yeah. you up for success, kind They're of. like, all mm -hmm. you need to know is to say, like, where are the bathrooms, where's the, the library, and I want. Like, yo quiero, yo quiero. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but no, the, you know, there's a lot of nuances that didn't know how to say dishwasher, which is not as common in Spain as we might, as you might think. 
so anyways, they really helped. We actually um, told them the type of places we were looking for. They helped with the different neighborhoods. They came up with a spreadsheet, back to the spreadsheets, um, of different places that we consider. Then when we actually landed, they had already set up appointments. So we, you know, then they acted as a realtor. She actually picked us up every day, drove us around to different places, negotiated the lease, the terms, things like that. Um, took us to get our, once you land, you have to get your visa turned into an actual residency card. It's a lot of Spanish again. It's involved. Again. That's, a, that's a very involved process. It's a very involved process. And typically, there's several blogs that help explain it. The consulate is not the best place because it's, yeah, you know, you need someone who actually kind of went through it. And um, a lot of dealing with Spanish bureaucracy, someone described it in one of the Facebook groups recently. It's more of an art. People think it's a process of several steps. It's more of you try something and maybe it doesn't work out the first time. So you go back with a bigger smile on your face or you go back at a different time. You talk to someone else or they're in a better mood and you get the stamps. Um, so having someone help us through that artistic process um, and understanding the ropes. Navigating. Navigating sounds Was very, very helpful. Yeah. So would you recommend getting a relocator if I, you could or would? Yes. No, I definitely would say if you can afford it and especially, you know, I had, um, we also had a dog and a dog was probably the most annoying part actually of moving. Um, his visa process is slightly He has more. a visa? He has a pet passport. Wow. Yes. Oh yeah. my God, Jay needs a pet passport, guys. You know my dog, my, she has a pit bull, so she needs a... Okay, so keep going. Keep no, going. no, no, That's no. You awesome. can get, if you come visit, like, you know, <laughs> you have to obviously come to Europe to get the pet passport. Wow. Um, but no, there's a whole USDA vet, um, X number of days before going, they have to check the type of chip to make sure it's stand, complying with the EU standard versus... Um, but having all of that, the relocator helped a lot because, you know, there was a lot I didn't have to do. It was easier to tell someone, even getting the Spanish health insurance, it's significantly cheaper. It's about half the price if you buy it in Spain as opposed to America. She could buy it for on my behalf, whereas it was very hard for me to buy from the U.S. So highly recommend if you're thinking about moving abroad. If you're even thinking about living abroad, that first conversation we had when we were just doing the test drive, um, I would very much actually consider, I highly doubt I'll convince my wife to move again to another country. But even on vacations, trying to find a relocator from really thinking about moving to that area. Yes, yes. So is Valencia permanent or no, to no. be determined? So we actually said two years up front. Um, and I would be willing to extend. I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm liking it. Um, I would love if maybe we had an administration change when I came back um, or before I came back to the States. Uh, but my wife is not as in love with the Spanish culture as I have. She's um, the She does miss some of the conveniences, things along those lines. So our plan is to move back to, um, we're planning to move back to the D.C. area next year. Very nice. And you're from D.C. originally. I'm from D.C. originally. All That's right. where my rental properties are. Nice, nice, nice. So as we wrap up this chat, do you have any final advice for anyone who not only wants to build wealth, but also wants to travel abroad and be an expat? Do you have any final words? Do it. So... Um, a lot of people think it's really, really hard. And it's not the easiest thing in It's the involved. World. It sounds involved. It was involved, but um, I actually was, thought it was going to be way more involved. I thought it was going to be significantly harder. I thought there was going to be a lot more to prove to the consulate. Um, and the experience, so I think even if I disliked living in Spain, I think the experience was really, really, really good. One is going through the process. Um, there's a lot I've been learning about both even just professionally working in Spain or living in Spain, um, a lot about the culture. And I personally do think I've, even when it comes to my wealth journey, one, having saved the money has been great. And two, understanding how Spain thinks about money. Um, they don't use credit cards there. Like consumer debt is not. So how is your travel hacking right now? 
Travel hacking is it's been harder. It's been harder. It's been harder. Challenging. It's challenging. Yes, in terms of actually getting the miles, but I can fly to Italy for twenty bucks round trip. That is true. That's very true. So there's pros and cons. There's yes. pros and cons. We've been traveling an insane amount, an insane amount. We've been averaging about one trip a month. So where are some of the places that you guys been to? Yeah. So I'll try to remember them all since we um, go through them quickly. But we've been to Paris, Florence, um, Paris, France, Florence, Italy, uh, Pisa, Italy, Lean Town, Pisa. We went to. Uh, Palermo and Sicil- uh, Sicily. With your one, with your one year old. Uh, with my one year old, yeah. now two year old. Two year old, yeah. Yeah, um, we actually went to Jamaica. That was for a wedding. Um, Belgium, so Brussels, Ghent, and Bruges. Uh, we've been to. Um, we just came back from a trip actually about three weeks ago where we went to Budapest, Hungary first, then Vienna, Austria, Bratislava, Slovakia, um, then to um, the Netherlands to go to Amsterdam and Holland. You guys have been doing a lot. We've also been um, several cities in Spain, San Sebastian, Sevilla, Madrid, Barcelona, uh, Murcia, Alicante. Um, It's been a lot, but it's been amazing. Like, my son, when he grows up, will have a bunch of great pictures of places he doesn't remember. (laughs) No, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And your Spanish is improving? Si, si, si. Si, si, si. Mi español es mejor. Biblioteca. Yeah. Or I can't. Yo, um, uh, yo conozco yes, la you know. biblioteca. Yes, yes, yeah. Hey, yeah. I love it. I love it. So, Damien, let us know how we can connect with you and what your what your next projects are. Yes. So, Wealth Noir um, is where you can find me. Um, wealthnoir.com is our website. Uh, Wealth Noir on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. Basically, just type in Wealth Noir. You're going to come to us. Uh, me personally, uh, if you really want to find out what I'm doing in Spain um, or around the world, the real Mr. Peters is my IG. I do a lot of live stories, and that's really where I'm kind of like showing me traveling. Um, but on Wealth Noir too, I actually have a series where I've been writing about moving abroad and thinking about that. In addition to the wealth building, we really do try and cover um, a lifestyle of wealth. So that includes being able to travel in a way that makes sense with your wealth goals. In addition to um, investing in rental properties and um, saving and getting rich. I love it. And I'll have all the links in the show notes down below. Thank you so much, Damien. This was so much fun. And I'm going to be in Madrid in 2020. So hopefully we get to link up. Oh, no problem. There's a, the bullet train runs right between Madrid Let's and Valencia. They actually call Valencia Madrid Beach. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'm ready. May 2020. May 2020. I'm there. Let's you can, do it. You can play with the baby, too. Oh, my gosh. That's so sweet. He's cute. His hair is... Similar to yours. You'll love them. I love, love them. I love them. Thank you so much, Financial Savvy Travelers. This is another episode of the Thought Card Podcast, and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.